if any of you happen to look at the portfolio of my work, it's all really simple. It's bar charts, line charts, heat maps, maybe a map <laughs> and a slope chart. That's about the extent of it because I would rather tell a good story with some basic visuals that kind of stay out of the way but make the point um, then really impress people with something where they're like, wow, this is a piece of art. I just don't know how to understand it and how to make sense of it. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is all about data visualization and communication, so making the most of the increasing amounts of data that sports scientists, strength and conditioning coaches, even physios and analysts are all dealing with. So we have three experts in this area. We have Adam Sheehan, who is SNC coach slash sports scientist at Munster Rugby. We have Julian Haig, who is director of sports science at Inter Miami. And we have Eva Murray, who is lead evangelist at Snowflake. So big, big hitters in the area of data visualization. So we kick off with going back right back to the start and making sure that we're answering or trying to answer the right question. Then we have a little chat around different programs we can use to visualize data and how we go about choosing the right method. So choosing the right chart, how we get to know what our coaches want to have the biggest impact with the data. So if you're interested in this area, it's an absolute barnstormer of an episode. So make sure you listen closely for the next hour and take plenty of notes as I did. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. The Hawking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. This episode is also sponsored by Team Builder. Team Builder is a software for performance coaches around the world. The powerhouse platform increases efficiency, saves paper, and can handle any type of programming. It's the perfect fit for professional and academy teams, performance institutes, schools, and universities. Team Builder is full of tools that help coaches' needs. Multiple max tracking methods, 16 plus reports, evaluation testing, and goal setting, just to name a few. Coaches also have access to consultations with Team Builder's in-house sports scientists to help manage and analyze data. Head to teambuilder.com and sign up with promo code SPORTSMITH to start your 30-day free trial. And this episode is also sponsored by Omega Wave. Omega Wave is the only non-invasive at-rest technology on the market that analyzes readiness to train via both brain and cardiac analysis. Using DC potential and HRV to understand your brain's energy level and autonomic nervous system balance allows you to use objective data on recovery and readiness that in turn helps you to truly individualize your training and thus optimize performance. Omega Wave also measures ECG from the V6 position. 
This data can be used by the medical profession to check cardiac health on a frequent basis. The measurement takes only four minutes to perform and results are visualized in an intuitive way thanks to our windows of trainability concept. Omega Wave is used by hundreds of elite sports, military and law enforcement organizations. Omega Wave are also the official partner of the UFC Performance Institute. Learn more about Omega Wave by visiting their website, omegawave.com, and their social media channels. So without further ado, over to the episode with Eva, Adam, and Julian. We're going to frame the next hour with probably the first point that, that we're going to come to, and that's choosing the right data to present. So before we go into the visualizations and the communication, we actually obviously have to understand what the right data is to present and then move on to the uh, to, to where to start to actually visualize that. So I'm going to come to Adam to kind of frame that for us on, on the importance of choosing the right data before we get all fancy. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much to yourself also for inviting us on. Um, I suppose just, just kicking it straight off, the, for me, the, it, it kind of starts with that first question of, of, of why you're looking at it or what are you looking to achieve from it? Um, so, so you're in my scenario in particular dealing in, in a rugby environment, kind of boots on the ground. It's, it's very much understanding what are we trying to achieve from an outcome point of view from playing? And then how are we going to utilize what tools we have on hand that gather a, a lot of data for us? And then leverage that with the tools that we have. Data visualization is just one of those tools, but it, it kind of helps then to leverage that into how you're going to try and elicit change in, in a program, positive change, hopefully, um, being the desired one, but not always sometimes. Um, and then I've kind of gone through that a couple of times where your, your, your kind of method of assessment, what that data is that you're looking at, uh, will kind of influence what your kind of that, that kind of capture of that data and how you then plan to leverage it and get change from it. So you'll kind of go through that process um, quite sequentially, I suppose. There will be a step process to it. Um, and the, the data visualization piece probably comes in at the end. But, but first and foremost, you're probably going to have the rigor around the data that you choose. You're going to liaise, converse with the coach, see if that kind of information is, is telling a similar story. The two of you can kind of sit opposite each other, look at the same clips, Look, look at how a game unfolds, target pieces where you can say, well, from my experience, it's this. And he can go, yes, but what we're trying to achieve here is this. And then you'll get onto the point where you're trying to turn that those pieces of information into the knowledge pieces between the two of you that kind of then get flipped into visualizations that kind of smooth that process or, or at least create a common map that we can then refer to uh, going forward. Um, and I think that right piece, choosing the right data then comes down to how it's going to stack up and, and, and actually be stressed in the real world. Um, so it, there's thousands of pieces of information in, within my setting that we could choose from to kind of pinpoint a positive performance. Um, but it's about being very particular about choosing those to see if when you do hit on them and, and they tick upwards, is that actually influencing the outcome on the field? Um, so that, that's where I yeah. kind of start with that piece. Yeah. Adam, just, just on that, how many, I know you've been at Munster for quite a while, how many iterations, I mean, I know there's, just using your player tracking, for example, how many iterations has there been for that process of, of choosing the right data to present? Yeah, a lot, <laughs> simply put. Um, I, th I suppose it, it's, it kind of goes on a couple of things. The, 
what I would say from the data visualization piece is that it's 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 very much a tool for me in my work setting. Um, and and what it does is it helps create bespoke solutions in house that I can leverage the information that we have in let's say it's, it's player tracking. You can leverage that that information that you have in a way that's very unique to your environment. Um, and having the skill set to do that is quite helpful. But there's also then you're kind of leveraging other people, people's kind of products. If you, if you want to take an off the shelf product, we'll give you a very good idea of some other pieces, but you can kind of then utilize the two of them. Um, but from the iteration piece, it, that definitely happens regularly and it, and it kind of should. Um, like our, our seasons are, are, are helpful in that way. You kind of flush the old, bring in a new, refine, reduce, and try to get to that kind of real distillation of key messaging inside of your. Um, it's like visualizations, yes, but on a lot of fronts and not just on the visualization front, you're trying to really articulate as clearly and as concisely as possible what you want that change to be. Um, so let's say it's that that physical output in the game scenario. You, you want to try and be as accurate as you can be that the information that you're utilizing is actually telling that piece of the story. And that's why you'd meet with the coach regularly to kind of understand those or understand at least what way they wanted influenced. And then also meet with the player on the side. Do they understand the context of which that information is being portrayed um, or being interpreted more importantly from the player standpoint, from everyone's standpoint, but more importantly, the players will probably have at least some of other SNC coaches will have a background in the information. They'll understand maybe some of the, the underlying pieces of it, whereas the player is typically picking it up maybe for the first time in the reports or they're, they're challenging and competing against each other and want to know how they can improve in certain areas. Eva, anything to add there? I, I did want to ask Adam, how much of the questions by the coaches, how, how much do they those questions actually influence the type of data you then pick? Because I guess it's my experience in business is there would be a question that as an analyst, you're like, oh yeah, we need different data for that. So we'll go and get that data. Does that happen in your environment as well? That the, the coach's questions actually trigger that whole process in the first place? Yeah, uh, I've certainly had um, examples that are happening for sure. Um, I would also kind of maybe caveat it with a little bit to say that sometimes the, the question you might not have the actual data at hand to match directly the question that's being posed. And that's then where you're kind of relying on other elements to kind of that are proxies to that information to inform. Um, so yeah, oftentimes you're kind of, sometimes it's, I think with the data as well is that you're kind of meeting with the coach to see if you have an idea of how it's going to influence in your head. They have an idea of how they want to see it or interpret it. And then you're kind of like back piecing together to put it all together so that the flow of that information then kind of you get you get the other bits out of the way and people can kind of just agree upon this is the landscape where we're interpreting and the visualization becomes the map to infer from that then, um, if that makes sense. We might be jumping forward, Adam, a little bit here, but where would where do people get started with data visualization? Where did you get started with data visualization? What advice? What advice would you have to people? And again, this will probably frame the next fifty minutes. Uh, yeah, um, I simply put it, it's it's probably a little bit more accessible now. I can make myself feel quite old when I say that, but uh, I I kind of I suppose from a visualization platform standpoint. I would still see Excel in, in, in my working day as kind of like the workhorse of a lot of the stuff that we get. It'd be that like um, 
or calf testing coming from valid information when we export it or GPS information can be exported in there. We would have strength trackers that would look at one around power base reactive strength index. So there's this like huge range of different data points that are coming from. And I think the data visualization bit as a tool for, for in my scenario, an SNC coach would be, it allows you to maybe just iterate and integrate different sources that don't always match up from the manufacturer, let's say. Sometimes they just do not compute. They will not match up with each other. Um, but I would say my experience of it was probably about four and a half years ago now, I would have come on to the original outlay of Power BI, a, a, a Microsoft tool for data visualization. And I got into it on the basis of saying it, it, I was dealing heavily in Excel um, and looking for ways of swinging information pieces that I needed bespoke to our environment that weren't as readily or as easily done in the sandbox of a third-party provider. Um, so I was utilizing Power BI then to be a visual tool to help me kind of tell that story. Um, and then over time, it, it's gotten much easier. Um, it's obviously quite a large product from a, a business intelligence standpoint from Microsoft. So it, it's iterated itself and it's become much easier to use. But mainly, I just think it's it's one of those other tools that you can draw on. Um, and obviously, it's, it's, it's very handy for conveying information pieces. But I would also kind of say that I would definitely say within the within the class of this talk that I am not the expert in terms of data visualization or, or or how to implement it. But I do find that that programs like a Power BI or a Tableau have a very low learning curve in the beginning, and you can iterate on the back end of that. Then, as you can almost scale up, and um, as you start to hit the other ends, the edges of your expertise at certain times, you can scale up and and then go off and learn further. But you can certainly do an awful lot from a very rudimentary standpoint, trust me on that. It's, it's not a lot of, uh, not a lot of experience to, to pull some of the info together. Just coming to you, Eva next on the, on the different options that we've got. Adam's mentioned Power BI. I know Julian's a big Power BI fan, so we'll come back to him in a minute, but what, what other options have we got? Yeah. I mean, Adam already mentioned Tableau and I'd say, there, I mean, there are plenty of tools out there. It really depends on what you're looking for and what the how it's being used. So um, first, for full transparency, um, I do not sell any of the product, but the one that I'm very close to and have been using for years is Tolo. I have not used Power BI extensively, but what I see as the key difference between the two, and this is like fundamental for the approach people take, is with Tableau, you explore visually. So you just drag and drop or double click on fields and something happens tableau creates a visualization for you and you're like oh that's interesting let me click on that and you kind of just work your way through and figure out what's going on so you can ask a question you can get an answer power bi has a fundamentally different approach where you first determine what chart you want to build and then you fill it with life so you might say well i want to build a bar chart and you select the fields to create this bar chart um, which I think if you want, if you if you're building dashboards and you have a very clear idea of what you want to get to as the output, Power BI is great. It's got like really sharp visualizations. I think some of the interactivity it just looks really good, and of course it integrates nicely in the Microsoft stack. But, but Tableau is more for this visual analysis, so exploring your data in a different way. And I think that's where 
I mean, when I first picked up Power BI, I'm like, oh, I don't really know what to do. <laughs> uh, I've never really been an Excel kind of power user. Um, so I, it was a bit of a giant hurdle for me. <clears throat> with Tableau, you know, it wasn't, wasn't super simple either, but I kind of, you know, I just kind of clicked on something and something happened. Um, and what I liked is that I could see things and I could change it and the visualization changed. And of course there's other tools as well. And I would say, again, it depends a bit on what you want to do. Do you want to communicate data in a certain way? Then I think the tool should mainly help you as the user understand what the data is telling you. So what, you know, what are the results here? How do they compare to last week, last match, last training session? Because the end communication of that, I think the tool isn't all that important for what does the dashboard look like? Because you might have an audience that wants everything in a written report, or maybe they want you to draw it on a whiteboard. So Tableau then becomes your tool, um, for example, to do the analysis, or Power BI becomes your tool to mock up a dashboard. But really what the job for people who work with this data is to communicate the results at the end. So I would always see the tool not as the end goal, but this is a means to an end. It's meant to help you as a human work in a smarter way, figure out stuff, figure out stuff others can't or don't have the time for or don't have the skill set for. So I think really the first question I would suggest people ask themselves is, what do I want to do? What do I want to achieve? And also, you know, what's the budget? What's available? What are maybe some limitations internally around, well, if you're a full-on Microsoft shop, you might not have any other options than Power BI. So if that's your choice, dive all in. Um, if you maybe always go for free tools, then there's a bunch of things out there. Um, some that are more on the design side, like um, Canva. I don't know if Figma does, like they do visualizations it's fairly rudimentary when it comes to analysis. It's really just, you know, plug in your numbers and it spits out a chart. Uh, I mean, you can use PowerPoint and Excel if you want, um, but then there's also Google Data Studio and others, uh, Yellowfin for those who might be in Australia, they might've heard of it. Um, so there's a bunch of tools and uh, it really, yeah, comes down to what you want to do with it. And again, also your skills as an, as an analyst, or let's call it a data person, regardless of the title, um, because, one point I want to make on this is the challenge I've seen over the last few years is that some of these tools have become so easy to use and there's so many resources on how to use them, like instructional videos, et cetera, that anyone can really build charts and dashboards. But I argue not everyone should because some people don't have the statistics background and knowledge to really communicate something well. They might infer some, you know, collect. Uh, I can't talk. Um, they might infer uh, some relationships, you know, between data points, or they might infer something else, some you know causality that isn't actually there. A correlation was the word I was looking for, and that gets tricky very quickly. So I think we have to be careful that we don't just use a tool and build stuff. We really truly understand what we're doing as data people because there's so much out there, we can do great things, but we have a good, you know, a good amount of responsibility with the stuff we're communicating. So do you think in these tools that we're talking about, there is a level for everyone, it's just going at the right level that's aligned with your knowledge of what you're actually presenting, not getting too ahead of yourself? Yes, because I see there's a tendency, people are very tempted to build super complex things because they look cool and impressive but I tell them, please just build a bar chart and line chart because firstly, they're easy and you can focus on getting your message right, which is the most important thing. But also 
your people will probably understand them. But if you build this sanky, circular, curvy thing, people are like, I don't know what to do. It looks great, but yeah, next. <laughs> so um, I would say, I mean, anyone who starts picking up those tools can probably build the things they need to build. But it's really about, do I understand uh, what I'm calculating here? Do I understand how I'm using the fields in combination? Um, you know, can I make a forecast based on two months worth of weekly data? Well, probably, but maybe you shouldn't. Um, so it's those kind of things. And maybe it requires not just learning the tool, but also a bit of, you know, stats 101. I'm going to come to you next, Julian. Why did you gravitate towards Power BI? Is there anything that gives you that other tools potentially didn't? Yeah, I think for me, I mean, there's, there's, a, there's a great backstory to it, but I don't think we've got time on the podcast for it. So, <laughs> um, but effectively, I was looking for a method like working in, in sport. I mean, and I'm sure it applies in business as well. You're always looking at multiple different things to get one out. Ultimately, we're all trying to improve performance. And there's not just one metric, one set of variables that goes into trying to kind of create that or, or decide that. And it's often overlayering different pieces of data to try and answer a certain question that's going to give you the best answer because it's never, or rarely, I should say, is it like, I take this one metric from this one data source and it's going to answer the question I need. It's going to be dose and, and uh, dose and effect. I don't know what I was saying that. But don't, again, get, don't get thrown off by the dog. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's, he's not enjoying it down there. But um, <laughs> but again, like Power BI gave me the ability to build a model that feeds everything back into that one center source that allowed me then to, okay, I can build a visual from multiple different places that's going to help me to answer the questions I'm trying to answer in a better way. And then sort of, as Adam and Eve mentioned, you then start to layer in, okay, well, how do I bring more meaning to this to then create the narrative that, again, I think is something we'll, we'll probably talk about in, as we go forward. So <laughs> so did, did you explore the tools before you got to the end point of Power BI or was it just, it seemed a good fit and you've kind of rolled with that? Yeah, uh, many, many, many um, Excel spreadsheets. Um, so it's multiple spreadsheets every day, trying to keep it on top of everything. But again, you're looking at things in isolation, but then you want to try and com converge like pieces of data into one and then Excel gets slow. And I was very fortunate. I mean, it goes back to this story. I, I kind of presented to a company who then sent over Kenny McMillan, who again is for me sort of my big mentor in this area, who then basically said, oh, easy, we'll just introduce you to Power BI and we'll get all these data sources just flowing into this one dashboard so that rather than having to work off eight different sheets, you're working on one page and the data is just flowing through every day. And, and, and since that happened five or six, or whenever it started, uh, I've, I've not looked back. Uh, and certainly in my current role working across multiple teams, um, it's made my life a whole whole lot easier just being able to have everything in one place. Mm -hmm. We've even mentioned stats and been able to uh, obviously having the ability to understand that before getting too excited with what comes next. But how do you uh, get the coaches and players to understand potentially complicated stats and numbers in and how do you circle that into the data visualizations that you use. And I'll get the other guys' um, opinions on this in a second as well. Yeah, no, I think that's a great part. And uh, 
again, like sort of when I was thinking about this webinar, I came across a, an Einstein quote that, that's something if you can't um, explain it to a six-year-old, you don't understand it well enough. And, and I think the same thing kind of applies here. If you can't explain to a coach or a player like why that piece of information is important or why that data is important to them, then you probably shouldn't be using it. Um, and kind of often like when you look at things like, so like GPS these days or force velocity profiling, you get hundreds of thousands of metrics from both of them. Some of them are algorithm based. Some of them are combinations of different things. But again, at the end of the day, it kind of comes back to Adam's point. It's like, is this helping me answer the question? And, and to Eva's point of like, or is this something that's really complicated that might look cool and sound cool, but actually we don't fully understand how we're arriving or how this uh, metric is formed and then therefore how we can actually implement it into our environment. Um, so then when it comes to stats that players and coaches might understand, I think you, you flip the question and, and, and ask yourself the question, well, what do the players and coaches understand? Um, so again, that then comes that when you're setting up those dashboards, it's like, okay, is it a color coding system that's based off a Z score, just as an example. But um, again, I think we're going to dive into more detail in a little bit, but ultimately the, the coach and the player understand that if it's green, it means it's good. I mean, we understand on the back end, okay, green is two standard deviations above normal. So we're looking really good right now, or red is two standard deviations below normal, something really basic like that, that, okay, they see red and green so that they understand it, but you also know it's being informed by a process that's giving you more information than say like that doesn't take into account the individual nature of athletes, coaches, and the environments that you're working in. Does that, does that kind of make sense? Absolutely. Anything to add, Adam? Yeah, I, I suppose the, I could probably add on, on my side of things, just dialing that right to the end in terms of your conversation with players. And I, I definitely agree with that Einstein bit. It, it's like reducing it to the point of simplicity, but then just not losing the context of why it's actually, why have you almost opted or chosen for that in the first place? Um, and I think what I was speaking about previously was that idea of, yes, you do need to have some sort of sense of why have I chosen this? And am I well enough to stand over it and say, yes, it's important. And, and this is why it's kind of found its place into a visualization that's shared across across multiple people. But like the examples of, of like dealing with a player to say, if let's say, for example, you're looking at GPS information and you look at like efforts in rugby is kind of like derived from like running, change of direction, contact efforts within a game. And players are kind of going like, man, my efforts are huge, but I'm always like really poor in terms of my repeated high intensity effort score. Let's say those are the two examples, a real real world example. I it would have been true. And you're trying to explain to that back row forward to say, yeah, but like you need to try and add one other effort in the play when the play is kind of going on and outlining examples of how they can do that. And that will help you achieve an effort in this place, which could then add to you connecting more efforts and, and picking up one of these repeated high intensity efforts, which will make your color on the chart or your percentage of the chart. They just want to compete. They want, they want to be up against others. But that's the bit where you're kind of saying, okay, I understand where he sits. He might be low, red, he's in the bottom 25% or he's in the top 25% or something like that on a chart. And he's kind of coming to you to say, I want to improve this, but I'm kind of getting lost into how I should. And then you're 
this is where I would see the visualization pieces. Yes, great. The visualization, he's seen it. He's able to then take that and ask the question as to why. And then you can leverage your context of the sport to say, well, if you just do this, you'll have a better chance of achieving this. And, and you've worked towards that positive outcome across the four. Um, but I, I think that's kind of the bit of it as well. Yes, I would agree 100% with Eva's point to say not everyone should. It, sometimes they do look very pretty, but not everyone not everyone should um, because there's just so much of it out there that you need to understand or at least crystallize it to figure out what's really important. But the, the, the other end of that spectrum then as you walk across that bridge away from just the, is it sensitive enough or is it capturing and is it strong enough, robust enough to, mean, to be meaningful? It's the the game bit scenario which can sometimes come down to that one or two instance which if you were to study it wouldn't be effectual at all but it, it could be really important to an outcome of a, a try scored or a try conceded mm-hmm. anything to add either yeah i just had one point around what i've seen in the sports environment mm-hmm. where from a visualization perspective i think there's maybe a bit of a gap between the sports scientists and then communicating that because they take a very scientific approach. You know, it reminds me of my university days and you've got these box and whisker plots and no one I've ever asked about what does it mean? has been able to give me a straight answer. So I think that's one of those examples where, you know, if you can't explain it, don't use it. And I, I mean, I don't know coaches personally myself, but I'd imagine that most people would rather have a simple chart and maybe a paragraph of text then a box and whisker plot with like lots of dots they have to interpret and figure out in their head. Um, so what I've always encouraged people when I've worked with clubs or other sporting organizations has been like simplify it, try to make it so that a lay person can understand it because even though the coaches get all the sports specific stuff, they might not get the data specific stuff. So that would be my words of encouragement there. Mm-hmm. Just in your, oh, go on, Julian. Yeah, no, I was, I was going to piggyback off what we've had both of the points, but like something Adam said about, okay, explain like when you're working with players and you explain to players that one more effort here would change this and make that big difference to how they play the game. Like, and I, I've had a similar experience, but kind of almost the reverse of that, where say you've got two, two fullbacks playing in a game, one of them's, and again, like soccer, uh, to quote Tony Strudwick, is, is kind of decided in those key moments, again, the most high intensity moments of the game. And so one of the big things you look at is, okay, how much high speed running have done, how much sprints, how much sprint distance, so on and so forth. And so having a, dis- like in, in my early days, having a discussion with the manager saying, oh, look, this fullback um, did a thousand meters of high speed running, say in this game, whereas this one only did 500 meters, she must have played really well. But then the managers turned around to me and gone, well, no, actually it's because that player was out of position for the entire game and constantly having to do sprints back up and down the pitch because they didn't know when to make the runs and when not to. And so, again, it, it then adds that context of understanding. And it made me, again, just like reflect on, again, the data is going to be informed by what happens in the game or what happens in training, which I think can sometimes get lost. So, again, focus on more the process of planning the training, what you want to achieve there, and just remember that the data is then going to come as a result of that not the other way around but then you use that for moving forward to then inform the training process so it's kind of again about putting a process in place of understand what you want to achieve what does that look like and then when you move forward you can then use that to inform things going forward the same relates to dashboards and visuals of how you then use that to then give that message and create that story julian 
creating that context and communicating that context, is there any success stories that you've had? Is it is it is it always a, a, a conversation or is there something we can do within the visualization that helps helps tell that story? I, I definitely think it's having that conversation, understanding what makes sense to a manager, because if you don't and, and like hearing people's stories, and certainly I'm sure during my career you create a beautiful report, you think it's great, it's got all the bells and whistles, you put it on the manager's desk, kind of go, here you go, boss, here's the testing results from last week, like, it was great, or, or whatever your message is, and then you kind of walk out, you come back in a week later, it's got three coffee rings on it, hasn't moved from that spot you've left it in. Um, and so, again, like, just supporting the points the other guys have made, it, it has to be, one, it has to be impactful, but two, it has to have that interest and they have to understand it because if they don't understand it, they've got so many um, other things going on that they need to worry about. They Sometimes they just need that bang. What are the key points I need to focus on? What do I need to see from this report? And if I have to go searching for it, chances are I'm not going to read it, um, which then goes back to like taking something that's super complex but bringing it to the simplest form that still drives the answer to the, the key questions they're trying to get. Is it a training port? Okay, I'm a player's fit and ready to play on the weekend. Okay, what, what's going to answer that question? Or if it's like, okay, if it's for support staff, then, okay, maybe we can include a bit more detail. But then, again, creating that context using like stats in the background that then on a visualization or is it represented by colors or fonts or icons or however you want to do it, then creates the story that you're trying to tell because you then know that, okay, this is actual, there's actual inference here that things have got better or worse. And it's being displayed in a super simple way that then people can understand. I'll come to you in a second, Eva, because I'd love to get your input on that from a non-sport environment. But Adam, anything to add there? Yeah, it's probably just a question to ask to Julian as well. Like, I suppose in my environment, for sure, I would have utilised that idea of having either like front of house facing and back of house facing information around the data that you have. And that's kind of like, they're almost stepped in terms of the complexity. Like you have your most simple level of, of, of competition and ease of that interpretation is like the front facing player one. And then you kind of have your agreed upon landscape that you can discuss maybe training or, or game demands with, with coaches on another one, but then sitting in the background and I like people are different. And I found it really strange when you kind of get into this, but I used to have the example of two, two identical almost piece, pages of information, one displayed tabular, tabular data with numbers to the four and the other one very visual based. And it was kind of like for SNC and the medical department as a whole to kind of come across and, and view player information around a rehab setting. And it was it was quite interesting, funny, but annoying that you have to build multiple iterations of the same stuff. Um, just because people, people very much do interpret data and, and that information differently but i i would say that i i've done that your question previously about like iterating on things i think sometimes there's kind of like this um almost like that that kind of old world war ii skunk works kind of in the back going on where it's it's quite messy and you're kind of you're trying to kind of reduce it to get it to a point where you'd feel comfortable that yes this is conveying the message that i want but you're looking at it in the beginning and it's it's probably all over the place and then it kind of takes that slow process down to say is it stacking up to what we want 
um, coaches in the background are kind of understanding as support staff and then you can move that forward if it's really carrying weight it can be brought forward to the fore to the coaching team to the playing team to understand that and um, you can kind of leverage that but it, it comes on that iterative process again it's, it's a bit like this you're never going to get hit it like bang on the first time it comes from that kind of trial and error that was my point previously does it stack up in the real world like is it able to be stress tested and say yeah um, this is kind of informing what we're looking to do Eva just just coming to you on that context piece and how you've created that in a non-sporting environment yeah I'd say it's really important to talk to those stakeholders uh, one thing I've noticed in business is that especially in large organisations there seems to be a trend to build this monster of all dashboards with a million filters and everyone can just create their own view of it and i think quite frankly that's quite lazy of the data people because their job is to help everyone kind of get the answers they need and people have so many different needs you know the people at the at the top of the food chain they probably want mainly answers that they can work with they don't want to go and tinker and explore because they don't have the time for that and then there are people much further down, they need more detail, they might want to explore. So I would really say that people should have dashboards, reports or starting points for their own analysis that suit their needs. And that means that you communicate information and data differently to different people. And like the other guy said, you know, you, you would do it differently for the players versus the coaches versus, you know, peers who are also analysts and who know how to work with data and maybe how to relate things and um, and different people different stakeholders have different amounts of information already you know some people are really involved in all this planning ahead of the matches or who are you know sidelines in, in the training so they see what's going on they can put it into perspective but then if you have someone else who I don't know, maybe you actually get someone from a different department, let's say marketing, merchandise, et cetera. They might not have all that context. They just need one small piece for their own work. So I think it's really important to talk to people, but even more important to actually listen to them. So ask your question and then shut up and <laughs> let them tell you what they need. Um, and quite often I'd say people say, well, this is the stuff I need and I need a pie chart here and a bar chart there and I need this long list of detail there. I think that's where you then have to stop them and say, you know, you kind of tell me what you need and how you're going to use it and what you're going to do with it. And I'll create something and I'll involve you in the process because you as the data person, as the analyst, are then the expert in, okay, let's visualize this, let's analyze it, let's put it together. Um, that's not really what they have to worry about. And probably you'll create something better than what they expected. But it really has to be this ongoing conversation and truly understanding what people need and I think that's the fun part of the job because you get to solve so many problems. You get to make so many people happy at work. So, yeah. Because these, these people, whoever it may be in business or in, in, in sport, may not know what they want. Yes. They have this, yeah, contrived, weird visualization in their own mind what it is, but that doesn't actually translate to what we're trying to do. Yeah. And, and they might just have a pain of, you know, every week I'm trying to do this, but I'm missing this one piece in, in the puzzle. So give them that piece. If that's all they need, just give them that. Don't overcook it. Mm -hmm. Anything to add, Julian? Yeah, no, I, I think um, like two, two of the things is that they've absolutely just nailed it. It's, it's understanding what they want, but then you as the sort of, I guess, the data person, if you will, controlling the narrative so it doesn't just fit the narrative they're trying to create. Because often... 
coaches, players, those guys will have something in their head that, hey, I want the data to tell me that I'm the fastest person here. Therefore, they should pay me X more money. Like that's probably a terrible example. But again, like, or a coach is like, oh, I want some data to tell me this player's not fit enough because I want them to be fitter or something like that. But it's like, well, is that actually the case? Okay, you've told me what you want in a roundabout way. Now it's my job to take that, add context to it, and create a narrative that isn't necessarily going to fit your narrative, but is going to actually answer your question of is this player fit enough or not, rather than just kind of saying, hey, here's all the information, make of it what you will. Um, so again, I think just 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 sort of bouncing off Ava's point there of again, like then telling telling you what you want, listening to what they want, but then actually understanding this is what they want, or do they truly understand what they're asking for? So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Eva, Julian and Adam. So over in part two, we have a little chat around, we get into the meat of it, we have a little chat around choosing the charts, choosing the graphs, choosing how we visualize the data that we present to coaches, the pros and the cons, and most importantly, how we can keep it simple and have the most impact with the data we're presenting. So really interesting part two coming up. This episode of the Pasty Performance Podcast is sponsored by Satanta College. Satanta College, led by Dr. Liam Hennessy, provides international recognized qualifications in strength and conditioning and performance science from certificate to master's level. Courses are designed by industry leaders such as Des Ryan and Professor Ian Jeffries, ensuring students and graduates are at the cutting edge of technology and learning the most current methodologies from world-renowned practitioners. Stanta College's unique blended learning approach allows you to take the next step in your career in your own time and at your own pace. Lectures are delivered in an online classroom, while residential workshops provide the perfect opportunity for practical application of your studies with guidance from experts within the field of sports science and performance coaching. With campus locations across Ireland, the UK, USA, India and South Africa, Applications are now open for courses including the BSc in Strength and Conditioning, MSc in Performance Coaching, and MSc in Applied Sport and Exercise Physiology. Visit tantacollege.com for more information on how to apply. And also sponsoring this episode is Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction training? So for pro sport teams and athletes, Hytro is the only performance BFR brand to create pressure-validated BFR wearables that are practical, safe, and scalable, allowing you to enhance recovery and maximize athletic potential like never before. Widely used by top-flight rugby, football, cricket, and motorsports teams already in post-game changing rooms, away game travel, hotels, or at home, Hytro has proven that creating their simple and effective wearables allows BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously and safely. To find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge, visit hytro.com or email the team at teamsales at hytro.com. And now back to the episode with Eva, Adam, and Julian. Just going to stick with you, Julian. Importance of, of storytelling and how we can manipulate certain things in the visual that can help us with that. Yeah, I'll just carry on from where I was just a second <laughs> ago. Um, but, but no, it is, it is very important because ultimately, sort of as David said, you, you give them just 
a bunch of stuff and they'll kind of go, okay, and draw their own conclusions. I mean, it's important to remember that no finding or no change is still a, a result. Like kind of going back to, 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 to uni of, of, of kind of like, just because your hypothesis wasn't proven to be correct, that's still a finding. And the same goes for, for sports. It's like jumping on one of Adam's point, like, okay, is this dense, is this data reliable, valid, first and foremost? Okay, and now is it sensitive to change? So, okay, are we looking at jump testing as a measure of neuromuscular fatigue? Okay, what, what levels of sensitivity? So how do we know if it's true change? And then when it comes to plotting that and creating a dashboard to support that, okay, if we're just plotting jump height, oh, he jumped higher today, great, he must be fine. Where actually, like based on the sensitivity and the information we have on that data, that's not true change. That's just him within what his normal range would be. Or, oh, he's dropped off. We, he, he can't possibly train today. Or, well, it's, again, it's remembering to when you're working with players, especially every player is so different. And any form, so take any form of wellness measure, whether it's like just a wellness questionnaire, like you'll have some players that will fill in at 90% every single day, regardless of how they're feeling. That, you know, if, if it's a 1% drop, that's massive for that player. Like this is something, hey, we need to pay attention. For that player, that's a red flag. Whereas you'll have other players that are like this. You've got the Mary Poppins that are 90% plus every day. And then you've got those that ride the roller coaster that are up and down. But you're like, okay, they've dropped 20 points on whatever the scale is you might be using. But that's within that player's normal range. So then when it comes to creating the dashboards to then provide this information, whether it's to coaches or to players, um, finding ways to interpret that without telling them that's what you're doing almost becomes part of the job. So kind of, okay, if it's a coach and they want to know if everyone's ready and fit to play today, but they see someone's had a 15% drop, you can say, actually, that's okay, because that's within that player's normal range for, for how they fluctuate. Whereas like a 2% change for another player, okay, we might just want to check in. It's a conversation starter, but then when you put it on paper, you need to tell the story without, but make sure it's a true story you're telling. Like, again, going back to the stuff that's going on in the background, like, I don't know if Adam finds this, but with Power BI, again, trying to get to do exactly what you want, often, like, I've ended up creating a document now with, like, 100-plus uh, columns of data, but then that all feeds in to better answer the questions or the story that I'm trying to tell within the actual report. Adam, anything to add? Confirm or deny? Yeah, confirm. <laughs> confirm, confirm, confirm. Um, yeah, like, I, I think that it that is really important. I had that example with a coach where we, we were looking to kind of really keen, like a really keen coach to understand like who who's working within the, the forward pack of eight here within the game and had a really good context of um, what he almost wanted from it. And then was like, okay. And the way we split it up was like, okay, you're going to go watch the three games. I'm going to go pull the data from the three games. I'll watch them. And then I'll send the data to you and we'll try and corroborate if we come up with the same kind of answers or, or to where. And what we were then trying to do to say, well, they have so many different job roles. That's then where we got to refine what was going to be our selection criteria for choosing. Well, yes, we want them to run fast. OK, so we're going to pull a running based dominant metric. We want them to be part of hitting other players as hard as they possibly can. Okay, we're going to pull some of the collision-based information in there. And, and we tried to do it that way. And what, what I was trying to get from that was that each time we kind of iterated my back and forth was that he, I knew exactly what I wanted straight away. But it, again, then we were able to sit with that and say, okay, this this kind of piece of information, and, and you were kind of saying it a while ago, even I think in terms of decision-making, but 
like coaches want that binary black and white but we have that understanding that like true insight comes from that like hd color of, of seeing it so like literally knowing how it all kind of goes together and you're then trying to fill the piece in the middle where you're kind of going standard definition of okay we, we have this amount of context it's kind of referenced in different points but it's it's heading us in the right direction and you make decisions easier on the back of that then. Um, and once that's kind of outlined, once we both kind of went through the process of it, you were able to kind of more reliably then say, there's some quirky outliers from that game at the weekend in terms of this, or, or, or why is he like this as a player? Um, and I think though that kind of maybe just kind of treads the needle on a couple of things there around having that ability to leverage your, your kind of in understanding of the information into the decision-making the storytelling piece of understanding these are the pieces of the information that are going to paint the picture of what that demands are for a player. Um, and then getting to the bit where I suppose what what Julian was just referencing that, yeah, it, it sometimes does get quite difficult to, 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 when they know exactly almost what they want and you're kind of constrained. I'm certainly constrained <laughs> in, in my ability to, to kind of paint that picture for them. Um, so yeah, after this, I'll be on to Eva about saying how do I figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> nice. And does it, I, I hope I, that I, makes sense. Sorry, that was kind of a bit of a tangent to kind of go with it, but that, that's kind of what I'm getting from Julian. No, that's all good, mate. I'm just uh, I'm just going to say make sure people put the questions in, and just as I'm about to say that a question pops in, so that, yeah, we'll leave the last five or ten minutes for for some questions. But Eva, just coming to you on the kind of rules of the storytelling so the 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 colors the fonts the the charts is there anything kind of fundamentally that people should be keeping in the back of their mind when they're visualizing the data that they are oh this is my favorite topic because (laughs) yeah and you could talk to me about it for hours what i would encourage people to do is really keep it simple it's i know it sounds boring and bar charts might not be all that exciting but if you can just share the information with the others, you know, with your stakeholders in a way they understand, they can work with, and they're like, oh yeah, that's my answer. And I can just move on and do my job. It might not be all the dazzling glittery stuff, but I think it serves you well in the long run. And I found that, I mean, if, if any of you happen to look at the portfolio of my work, it's all really simple. It's bar charts, line charts, heat maps, maybe a map and a slope chart. That's about the extent of it because I would rather tell a good story with some basic visuals that kind of stay out of the way, but make the point, um, than really impress people with something where they're like, wow, this is a piece of art. I just don't know how to understand it and how to make sense of it. So I, you know, having, having built my career on that and having made a name for myself in that little corner, in that little bubble of this, you know, analytics world, um, I can, you know, just testify that it works and it doesn't have to be all glittery and shiny. So I would say stick to the best practices, stick to simple charts that are easy to understand and making sure to go easy on the colors. Um, colors is a really interesting point because we have so many concept, like preconceptions about colors. We have certain associations with specific colors. Uh, new trend is, you know, let's use black backgrounds or really dark backgrounds, which means that every color you choose has a different effect than it would on white. Um, There is a lot of theory behind colors. There's a lot of research that goes into it. So a simple choice like that makes a huge difference that you might not even be aware of. So as boring as it might be, I would suggest, you know, stick to the basics, get those right. A really sharp bar chart can be so beautiful to look at and so easy to understand. 
Um, and then in general, um, a suggestion I always make is once you've created your, your chart or your dashboard, your story, whatever it may be, take a couple of steps back from your screen, literally, like walk back a couple of steps and see, like have a critical eye and ask yourself, can I see this? Can I read this easily? Is the font large enough? Is anything kind of overlapping? Are the color, is there enough contrast in the colors? Um, and if you say yes to all of those, you know, you're good to go, but be kind of critical with yourself. And because I think we sometimes are like, oh, this looks so fun. This is so colorful, but you don't want confetti. You want to, you know, share information. So that would be my recommended approach for that. If you either just, if you go on any strength and conditioning coach or sports scientist Twitter feed, you're guaranteed to see some dazzling, mad Excel wizardry that's probably taken hours and hours and hours and hours. And I can guarantee the person delivering that at times has lost sleep because something won't work. It doesn't look right. 100% yeah. guarantee. I know these two have probably been in the, in the same position. But is there anything that people should stay away from when it comes to the presentation in terms of like big no-no's? So one thing I have noticed, especially in football slash soccer, you have an image of a green pitch and there's red dots on it. Mm -hmm. And given that I would say probably 90% of the people working in that industry are men, um, you have 10% of men having red-green blindness or weakness, which doesn't mean they can't see that there are, there's color. It's not all just gray, but they might not be able to differentiate because there's no contrast. So they're going to really struggle. And if they can see, okay, the dot is something different, like they can see there's a foreground and background. If you say, oh, can you see that dot, that red dot? And they're like, I don't, I don't know what red looks <laughs> like, you know? So one big one, I would say, stay away from red and green in combination like that. If you have to use them for whatever reason, might be like a branding kind of thing, um, try to support them with things like annotations or other icons. So if you have numbers, red and green for kind of good and bad, maybe you can have a little plus or minus up or down arrow. Um, it could be things where you have call outs uh, or little labeling of the data points. I think making it more accessible because not everyone will tell you, well, I can't see red and green or I have, you know, I have difficulty seeing things that aren't strong contrast. Um, just being a bit mindful of those things would be a good suggestion, um, especially when color is such a big deal. Cool. I told you the hour had flowed, had uh, fly, didn't I? So a couple of questions for the last five minutes and I've got a little quick fire question for you guys right at the end. But um, do your reports change? Adam and Julian, do your reports change? E.g. game minus four, X template, coach mentioned I'm session meeting. Yeah, so all in all, do your reports change day to day? Julian. Uh, <laughs> I have a pretty standard set, um, but within, so it's there's three pages. Um, one's about, okay, what volume did we do? And like something our coaches like to understand that is, okay, what percentage of a game have we done? Um, like, so like, again, like sort of my process is based around, okay, are we preparing the players for the most demanding moments of the game? So that means, okay, what, what does volume in different areas look like across a week? So page one, are we hitting the intensities in during drills in training that day on page two? So how does that compare to the most demanding parts of the game on page two? And then point three, page three is, okay, how does this fit into our weekly plan? Like where is everybody where they should be? Are we hitting what we need to hit? And 
as the week goes, each page updates and refreshes so that it's like, okay, after training each day, we'll send the report, debrief on top of what we did in training that day. Oh, were we over? Were we below what we had planned? Okay, what is there any knock-on effects for the next day? And is, does this mean we're going to be ready to perform on the weekend or moving into a tournament or whatever it might be? So again, I've tried to, again, this is year, years and years and years of new reports. I, I feel like I'm changing it every other week uh, to try and refine it some more. I see Adam laughing and <laughs> knows the drill. Um, that now, um, now I'm at a point where, okay, these three pages are going to tell the story. Um, so the, all the updates is the information within that. Cool. Next question. And I'll come to, I'm going to add him on this. And this is from, this is from Dawn giving you a bit, Julian, which is, which I love. Um, so yeah, presenting data to players and, and athletes. So how would you, again, example, correlating to match demands, comparison to others. And I think that's that comparison to others is a really interesting one. And is the times when you would do that is the times when you wouldn't do that based on time of season, time of week, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I suppose like for, like Julian kind of mentioned there, that we'd, we'd have kind of standard reports previously, standard reports on, on kind of how the week would look in, in reference to itself. But I would always say from, from a player's standpoint, what they're, what they're kind of desired from it. It's kind of like that, that verbal agreement. I, I'll give you the advice and I'll wear it. So long as I get the information back, so I can compare and contrast. Um, is that competition piece. So yes, understanding, I suppose we kind of covered this as well, is that a, you want kind of at least some context to all players are kind of different. So understanding how you're going to kind of bake that into what that report would be. Um, so yeah, I would definitely give them the opportunity to compete. Let's let's say just focus on a match day one, definitely on the opportunity to, to compete against themselves. So relative to their typical game output for the minute that they would have. Um, also, be ordered or at least grouped in positional groups so they can see how they stack up against each other in that similar position. Some of those will just rank order the whole team and they'd understand that they they might not be top of the charts in the fullback scenario for Julian there. He's not like a goalkeeper isn't going to find himself in, in the high running territory up against the fullback. So you might like separate that guy out just to see. Um, I don't know. He might've covered a couple of penalties and had to run down <laughs> or something like that. But um but yeah, definitely having, so th there would be like that sense of understanding and maybe an opportunity to see everyone uh, at a holistic level, an opportunity to see themselves against how they've typically competed and then some inbuilt kind of competition against them. So those are those pieces that I was speaking about previously in terms of utilizing, let's say, it, it, I do have a bar chart, Eva, thankfully you will hear, uh, and it's that idea of like if they were competing on efforts and what type of efforts they were inputting into the game that would be looking against their own position and then how, how again, how, how much of those efforts made up for like the positional group or the team group as a whole. So how much did they contribute towards the performance is another way of looking at it. Um, did that cover it? Yeah. Oh, good. Oh, yeah. good. Well, we're going to go, we'll good. go back to the... Did, just sorry, on Julian's one, I would say that I, I probably, like I was nodding along with him there for, for a lot of those. I, I would definitely agree. I would have gone the route of making lots of reports and seeing if they change, but then probably iterated to the point where utilizing the report to kind of be that roadmap of the week so that it, it kind of, and it's helpful if that remains consistent. You can see those things kind of either it, the bucket is getting filled up or, or you're stacking up towards a game or, or you're reducing the amount of 
let's say petrol in the tank you have running into a game etc um that having that kind of consistent piece is good i would say it's a it's a good kind of map to for want of a better word to kind of approach the the planning or the outline of a week and how people are tracking towards where they're typically expected to um once once you kind of I, I would say from my experience once you once you have a a good robust consistent amount of data you you have a lot of experience of what your typical weeks are you can, you can kind of plug those in you get a very good idea of where guys were due to play coming off the back of playing on the bench uh, we have two or three training days based on the turnaround of the game. You'll have a very good outline of what the plan is meant to be, and then you can fill in the pieces to see are we on track or off track based on how your training is going and, and kind of review and iterate training the next day. Cool. Just coming to you, Eva, the, the, the question that came in three minutes in, which was go to Beginner's Guide to Power BI, but I'm going to open that up to, to Tableau as well. Is there any good resources that can you can signpost people to whichever tool they um they, they want yeah so what i would suggest is because a lot of us use those tools in a work context right it's not just a, it's not necessarily a hobby it's it's our work so by all means go to the vendors they typically provide a lot of free content so instructional videos maybe some you know downloadable materials and blogs um and also speak to those account managers, actually ask them for things because they might be able to give you stuff for free or for a discount. Like, I think take the liberty to work much more with your suppliers, like those technology vendors. Um, they probably actually love hearing you about your use cases and how you're using the data and their tools. And they can maybe give you one of their experts for a day to actually teach you a bunch of things. So pick up the phone and call them. That's a suggestion I would make. There are a lot, especially in the Tableau community, there are a lot of um, community-based projects where you can participate for free and build things and do things and learn a lot along the way. Um, and many of them you could do with kind of any tool you choose. So if that floats your boat, by all means do. I do know that people in this industry are pretty busy most of the time with somewhat irregular uh, working schedules. So if you don't have capacity for that, then just within your work environment, I would suggest, yeah, go to the vendors and ask them for things. And there's one person on this call that may do these kind of things and help people along with this kind of stuff either as well. Say that again. I said there's someone on this call who does help people along with all this kind of stuff as well. Maybe, yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> shameless yeah. plug. Shameless plug. If you have time, uh, do check out hashtag Makeup Monday. So it's makeupmonday.co.uk. Um, it's a Love cool it. I co-host and um, we help you build better, better data visualizations. Love it. Um, last one, I think we'll get, oh, pretty pushed for time, but we'll get another one in. Um, had any success or failures delivering a, a practice planning system based on centered on data to a coaching staff for managing player load volume on a practice pitch? Julian, Caesar Stew's over there in the US, that link. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. And, and, no. Um, again, it, it's it's like I say, and, and I'm sure the other guys can attest to this. You you rarely get it right on your first first try, and, and it's like as Dawn mentioned in a comment, it's like, can you add this? Can you add this? And, and it's like, yeah, absolutely. And and it's always an ever evolving. I find that the reports are ever evolving. Like every like I did like. Oh, Obviously, we all had a bit of time during during lockdown, so I did an entire revamp of the whole system that I think I've now produced some of my best reports I've ever produced. 
And yet still in the past three months that I've actually been applying them, I feel like I'm changing them every other week to tweak this, switch that metric here, just trying to fine tune it so that then when it comes to looking at across a week, it's, it's, it's again, it comes back to the question, like what does the coach respond to? What are you trying to achieve with it before you try and visualize that? So is it a, okay, if we know what our target is for the, for a rolling seven day average, what does that look like? And what does that look like moving forward into next week? Like as one day's training load drops off, what training load do you play with there? But then does that fit with your training schedule? So it's, again, it, it's, it's a great question. And, and it's one that it's understanding your environment, the coaches that you're working with and, and how they're going to understand that information best, I guess. I'm gonna blow. I'm gonna blow out the water. The promise of, of of eight o'clock, but I promise I will be. I will be swift. <laughs> Either the, the, there's one question that's coming around pulling multiple data streams together into one manageable number, and that's something that's quite sought after in in sport, which I'm guessing is the same in in other areas as well. How do you how do you deal with that potential request from people for something super super simple? to like a, like just one number when it's the accumulation of lots of different things. How do you tackle that? Yeah, it's a common problem in business as well, because especially when, you know, management might ask what seems like a simple question and you sit there at the end of thinking, it's going to take me months to even just get all the data to distill it down to this one answer. Um, I'd say try to solve things early on because there are great tools that let you kind of fix it in the process, but if you can, and I know a challenge in sports is, you know, you have your events data and your tracking data and they don't match up on player ID and that kind of stuff. So push those, again, I would say push the vendors. Like I'm German. I love to complain about things when I'm paying <laughs> for them. You know, it's like I'm paying. I want this to be better. So talk to them and see if that can be fixed because that will solve it kind of for eternity, hopefully. But, but also just having really sound processes to bring the data quality up a level um, I also think it's about kind of the inputs. So if you know that there are people in part of the process where it's always kind of failing, you know, they maybe need a bit of training. But if it comes to, okay, we have all these different data sources we need to bring them together. There are solutions out there and I'm currently not in a position to really recommend something. Ask <laughs> me in two weeks, please. Um, but it's, it's really around, okay, what, what system or platform could you use do you want to bake something in-house or do you go out to the industry for a best-in-class solution that lets you do that because they are out there and they're not all horrendously expensive. You know, um, there are certainly solutions that will work and find something that makes your life easier. Um, and again, you know, working with those technology companies that will help you build something that works for you so that you don't have to worry about, oh, where does it all come from? How do we fit it together? But rather it's all there I can now do the analysis. How do you guys, and this has got 30 seconds, 30 seconds and we're done. I'm going to, either one of you guys can take it, but just that message from that, that um, question from Tim about pulling different metrics together into one, and he mentions there, simple number or readiness score. Is that something that you guys do or try to stay clear of? Who's going to take it? I'm going to unmute you. Go on, Julian. <laughs> um, no, I'm happy. I'll, I'll, we'll both take it. I'll, I'll take your yeah, 30 seconds and I'll jump in after. Yeah. Uh, all right, go ahead. Um, one number for in a score. So like, if, if you take a wellness questionnaire, often it's a number of different areas anyway. So then 
again, I think I've worked with some platforms previously um, that use an algorithm to convert sort of five or six different questions into a score out of 100, like the system we're using currently with Fusion Sports um, Smarter Base. We've decided we're just going to take it objectively because each of these metrics is designed to re represent a different thing. So again, we want to look at it on an individual level. Is this an area that we can help that player deal with? But then overall, how does that player over, how is that player trending overall? So in a wellness questionnaire example, yes, from multiple data sources to one thing. I think because they show such different things, it can be difficult to. 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Adam? Yeah, I'd, I'd probably give the same thing from the once they start to get out of the, the domain in which each of them are important in, it becomes very difficult to then kind of really reduce that, concentrate it into something that you can kind of arbitrarily stand over and say, let's say, for example, a score of 90 here out of 100 is, is telling you lots about this player. It's It loses that context. That that context, I would say, is, is quite important. I know Julian spoke about like, coaches are, are are very keen for like this idea of I want, I want like the the real distillation of the hardest piece of the game but like i i've i've gone through so many um from the other one failures of trying to get this example across that like it's it's like that telescope the game is made up of these 40 minute moments aggregated in a quarter or a half aggregated on a game level that pulling just that one hey, if you're good at this one 90-second drill, you're going to play loads of games. It's like, God damn it, any one of the four of us on a call could probably survive the 90-second demand. The problem is, is that there's another one comes right after it. <laughs> um, so, like, I, I think it, on that front, uh, maybe wrapping, kind of coming full circle on this, I, I think you can infer context from data visualizations really do help when you have multiple sources and, and and like Eva explained with Tableau or whatever, you can pull in different sources. So if I take you that from, I put on my strength and conditioning call chat and I, I'm looking at that idea of saying, okay, well, well, I'm going to look at his hamstring strength versus his lower body push scores, his squat or his deadlift, and you can kind of compare those, but also then you have the ability with these kind of things to drop in other context to make it relative for that guy. Um, and in that point, then inside of that kind of that that silo of the strength side of things, you can pull in maybe some sources from other sides and get that that swing of context and and really get some insight to say, oh yeah, he's got previous calf injury. It's affecting his calf loading, which is possibly a result of whatever. Was he low on his hamstring stuff? And and yes, that's that's an incredibly bad rabbit hole to dive into, and it's not fun, but it it, it certainly can increase your level of context that you're approaching it at that is longer than 30 seconds and tangent varying so <laughs> you can feel free to cut me off <laughs> right we've got we've got a minute left and it's quick fire so biggest data visualization lesson and it could be a little summary of what we've just said but i'm going to go 20 seconds on this i'm going to come to you first eva then i'm going to go julian then we're going to go adam eva first all right i think my biggest lesson is that managers or people at the top know less about data than you probably think. Love it. Julian. I'm going to, I'm going to turn it around uh, and put a question out there to everyone else that after this, to go back, look at their reports, look at each metric, look at how it's visualized and then ask, them, ask themselves, how is this contributing to either our process or to answering the question that this report is designed to do? Adam, last but not least. 
last but not least, I'll give a shameless plug to a friend of mine, Shane Malone, who said this, that data visualization, the idea of it is a picture paints a thousand words, but he said the picture doesn't have to do all the thousand. It can make the first 500 and the conversation piece that comes after it makes the other 500, which I thought was a very good way of explaining it because that's kind of the critical bit. You either get the 500 first, you go off and you build a picture or you get the picture out. It starts and sparks the conversation and the other 500 pieces make up the uh, the other 500 words, kind of close the full circle on it and hopefully you get some... Uh, you get you get something worthwhile out of it. Love it. Well, I'm eight minutes over, so I appreciate it. I appreciate you sticking sticking with me and uh, yeah, me not sticking to my promises. But I'm going to let you go. Get on with your evening and get on with your afternoon, Julian. But thank you, Eva. Thank you, Adam. Thank you, Julian. Really appreciate your time and insights. And uh, I'll chat to you all soon. Cheers, guys. Thanks, Rob. Thanks very much. Bye bye. Cheers, guys. Thanks. Bye bye. Tune in to episode 449 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Big thanks to these guys for giving up their time a little bit ago for this roundtable on data visualization and communication. Big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, Team Builder, Omega Wave, Santa College, and Hytro for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I do really appreciate all their support. Big thanks to you for tuning in, and look forward to chatting to you next time.